You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and today we're buzzing into episode 107. And uh, and as we have the last couple weeks, before we get into all the fun native plant stuff and cool articles, we want to do a little bit of follow-up on some past episodes. And yes. uh, and first was a, a claim we made last episode, where uh, <laughs> I think it was a Facebook post I had referenced where um, someone said, I don't care. what. No one tell me I shouldn't be planting this. I want to plant giant miscanthus. You can't tell me otherwise. Yeah. Tell, just tell me how to do it. Yes. And I was like, I can't, I can't put myself in that headspace where I've chosen to do something knowing that it was uh, had negative ecological impacts yes. in that case. And then I was racking my brain really for the last two weeks saying, what have I done? Because I'm sure there's something. Yeah. Um, and the closest I could come up was like texting and driving. Which I, I don't really do now, but, no, uh, but I've, I've done it in the past. I, I've done it in the it's, past. I've gotten much better with using yeah. hands-free. You know, it's like listen, you know the consequences, but you do it anyway. Listen, we both and, we both have done underage drinking. That's true, yeah. Speeding you know, was another Speeding, one. yeah. So we're not perfect. No, um, there's definitely things. I, I think you tend to – my brain went to like the worst-case scenario. Like, oh, I didn't do all these horrible things. yeah. But overlooked like all the questionable yeah. <laughs> things. So. You know, we've we've all done it. Yes. And it's um I, I just think some things you're more aware of than mm-hmm. others what the repercussions are. Yeah. Or you just don't like you know what the horrible outcome could be for texting and driving. Mm-hmm. But if you've never experienced it, maybe it's not on your yeah. mind. Yeah. Like unless you know someone that got hurt or or, mm-hmm. or injured, you know, you, you just don't you overlook it. Yeah. Then the uh, the other thing that we wanted to follow up on was um, I suppose our last episode was titled "How Does Your Garden Grow?" Right? Did, did you post a picture of your garden? Because I did. I not. didn't. I, I did not, I did not either. But a lot of our listeners did I in the Facebook very... group, and I was really impressed and jealous, and that kind of influenced yeah. me to maybe not post a picture. Of mine. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I'm like, after seeing all these wonderful gardens, like Russ Fernari and. So many other people post it such wonderful pictures. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to post mine yeah. now. <laughs> like, I could have taken a few pictures of some things that I'm really proud of in the garden. Yeah, but. and uh, and while mine my garden is much, um, there's a lot more going on than in previous years uh, for a longer period of time. Uh, I'm kind of in a lull right now. <laughs> there's really nothing. There's, I have some, like, the Amsonia is coming out of bloom. The packer has been done blooming. Uh, I, the wild geranium I have in my garden is blooming still, I think. Um, I'm trying to think of what else is, like, blooming right now. I'm kind of in, like, a little lull. The pensamon hasn't started yet, which is late this year. Yeah. I, and for I, – I've seen other people talk about this from all over the country, but here in New Jersey, um, my brother keeps really good uh, phenological records. Yeah. And he said we're about two weeks behind where we normally are. That so, sounds uh, about right. Yeah, but, I know. Like the Pensman's usually like May tenth, the May fifteenth, if memory serves. He, I'd have to consult what he actually has written down. But and it's here May twenty. We've been we've 7th, been and it's just very cool. We've only had what one ninety degree day or two ninety degree days. Yeah, two. and and the the nights have still been very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So we've been behind. You know, the things that I'm excited about in my garden, like and, – and again, like we're in between blooms. There's nothing blooming. But the shrubs that I planted in the fall of 2020, which kind of like mm. languished last year, like didn't do much, yeah, yeah. are now – like my elderberry mm-hmm. is really starting to explode this year. That's the thing that I'm starting to get excited because after last year not seeing anything really – improve because it's getting that root growth it's getting established is mm-hmm. now starting to really bulk up and show yeah. some size and that's what's exciting like yeah. there's a difference this year and that's you know it's it's almost like a plant by plant basis yeah. not you want to know whole. what is is blooming right now is uh speaking of shrubs is um is my viburnum dentatum my viburnum uh trilobum just finished uh this there, it was blooming last week and it isn't no longer blooming when i look today but uh, my viburnum dentatum is like just entering its peak. So my viburnum trilobum was browsed by deer all year last year, and this year it got browsed early. But mm-hmm. they're actually leaving it alone now, so it's just starting mm-hmm. to push some growth. So it's mm-hmm. exciting. I didn't get blooms, yeah, you know, but yep. I'm I'm actually getting a little bit of uh, height up. So I'm excited about that. I'm like, wow, some of this stuff's actually might have a chance. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> You know, so I'm so, excited about that. Yeah, and it's something I think we're gonna try and make a not a regular feature on on, on our buzz episodes, but probably like a monthly feature. We'll probably once a month we'll hit up and uh, and say what's going on in our gardens, and we hope that you guys in the Facebook group, um, if you aren't in the Facebook group, join the Facebook group, and if you are, you're posting pictures of what's going on in your garden at those times and. Uh, and follow our call to action. Yeah, we're actually a thousand members strong now in the Facebook mm-hmm. group. We just had a big influx, like of twenty five people in the last few days. So I, I noticed a lot of our listeners uh, invited people to join. Mm-hmm. So, and actually, some really good interaction. It just amazes me. I keep wondering at what point does our group get big enough that we start to see some of the problems that we see in other the mm-hmm. some of these other pages. And we've had like no major problems, small problems yeah. that we've been able to to handle but nothing like out of control yeah i just saw in an, another native plant facebook group this morning um someone put a post and said i deleted my last post i forgot that i shouldn't be posting things that might be controversial in these groups because if everyone just fights <laughs> <laughs> and all the comments are like oh yeah we've all done that because everyone just seems to fight over and native plant groups just seem to be really really uh spicy when it comes to that stuff everyone yeah. is really I think a lot of people who are in them are really knowledgeable and um and but also very confident in their opinions. Yeah, you know, I, there was one post that I removed, and someone posted something that wasn't native and was could be considered invasive. And instead of it being nasty, there were some good questions posed, like why? Well, why? Why? If you know that yeah. it might be invasive, and then a couple people just reported it, saying, "Hey, can we?" Yep. Take this down. And I thought it was probably the best thing to do, but it was actually like it it was sparking like a productive good co- a discussion, productive not, discussion, not a not you're an idiot. Yes. I can't believe you would do this. <laughs> <laughs> it was more like, well, why? Why yeah. what's your reasoning? Yeah. And and I appreciate that. Line, Another thing but, I'll actually follow up on, um and this is maybe we uh, Maybe we should have saved this for a take it or leave it, but we're going to do this. Maybe we'll do it again as a take it or leave it. I'll just present the the issue now, and that is um, Santino Lorcella, former podcast guest and hopefully future podcast guest again. Uh, he put up a question there saying he was gifted a non-native plant from out of from a some one of his friends. Some yeah. uh, it was a loving gift, and um, 
he's like, what do I do with it? <laughs> and, and he got a lot of really great advice. And it was, well, if you're trying to have an all-native garden, all of a sudden you're gifted something that doesn't fit that aesthetic, what do you do with it? So maybe, we, well, I don't know how you do it. Take it or leave it there. Well, you know, here's the thing. It, my opinion, like, would do you, do you wear every piece of clothing that's been gifted to you for birthdays or Christmas? Yeah. The, the, you, like, I like don't, I don't. No, and the, I don't. I listen. I was, listen. Uh, this is, and she's not yeah. listening to this, so I know I can say this. My sister once gave me and my sons the same shirts two years in a row. Mm -hmm. I didn't like it the first time. <laughs> and we definitely didn't like it the second time. Well, we donated, we donated the shirts mm -hmm. to to a good cause. But like, I think it's okay. Like, if you've ever returned a plant, like returned a gift that someone gave you, because it's not, it's tough. Like, especially if it's a good friend and they come over and like, oh, where did you plant it? Where's it at? Yeah. You know, like that could pose some very interesting mm -hmm. conversations later yeah, on. There's but. a so how I've encountered got, gone through it is. Typically, I pot. I put it in a pot mm -hmm. instead. Like, um, I'm trying to think of what we just got. It was like a I planter, was, but I put it in like a little just a pot to put on our patio. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the year, if it's still alive, then I'll, I'll maybe even it's something I can save or like save the next year. I'll put it in the greenhouse and keep it alive over the winter. But if not, then I'll dump out the pot. As long as it's not invasive or harmful, yeah. I'd regift it. Mm -hmm. You know, I would give it to like. Everyone has a different lifestyle choice. It's not my yeah. lifestyle choice. But if it if it meant something to someone else, yeah. like if my neighbor liked it, as you know, and it's I don't deem it as harmful, mm -hmm. I would completely yeah. now, say, like here, for for when we had our son, we were gifted a, a one of those blue hydrangeas. Yeah, so that was one we planted because it had uh, some kind of significance. We were just gifted a, um, a rose that actually shares the name with our son. Oh, okay. So that's one we planted because um, it was from a family member too. Yeah. Uh, and it's like uh, it's not going to hurt anything. Yeah. But um, then you can also follow the Marie Kondo method, like the what's her thing, the art of cleaning up or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, it served its purpose by being a gift. You can just throw it out now. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's, the purpose but, of it was to be a gift and, and now – it served its purpose. Get rid of it. You know, it's it's one of those things where what's your goal? What is your goal to have a hundred percent native property? Because if so, then technically you're getting rid of turf. You're 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 completely doing it. You could have it for a couple years and move on from it, or 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 dig it up and give it to someone else. And like, I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. I really don't. It's my the only time I have an issue is if it's something that is a known invasive or harmful. Mm -hmm. You know, I would probably destroy it. And that's that uh, like we were just praising how the great the conversations are in that Facebook group yeah. and how friendly they've been. And uh, and you got a variety of perspectives on that post right. and um, a lot of the same ones that we covered here in our own words. And but uh, it was very friendly and no one was like, I can't I can't believe you would even, you should cut that person out of your life. Although there was yeah. there was a <laughs> person who said even strangers at the supermarket know that I only plant native plants. And, <laughs> They know better than give me nine names. I, I laughed at that one. So well, you yeah. know, it's how listen. How many times have we had our customers call here and say, "Do you have this?" And we're like, "No, that's not native." You know, it's everyone. Not everyone knows what a, a native plant is or what the, you know, what the range is or something mm -hmm. like that. Not everyone knows. Like, and I'm okay with that. Like, I'm not yeah. expecting just because. I know about it that all of my friends should know about it mm -hmm. or family members should know about it. 
maybe I should. Maybe I'm not holding everyone to a high enough standard. Maybe I need to to ratchet that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, friend, we got a great slate of uh, of our normal segments um, to go through. So why don't we start where we always start, and that is with the plants we're vibing with this week. Uh, let's move on to that's hot. I'm going to choose to go first because I'm just looking at some of the information you have. Yeah, mine's long. Yeah, and mine's not. So I'm going to go first and get it out of the way so that we can move on to yours. But um, I chose – and I I know it's a little bit past, but I'm still thinking about my trip to Bowman's Hill. Speaking Mm -hmm. of Santino and all the wonderful plants I saw in bloom at that time, it was such a wonderful period to to visit Mm -hmm. the Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve. But uh, Columbine, Equilegia canadensis. Um, which, you know, is such a delicate, nice addition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, a erect branching perennial native to woodlands and rocky slopes. Uh, boasts nodding red and yellow flowers, blooms April to June. So it is still kind of mm-hmm. like it's at the the tail end. Mature size is one to three foot. Uh, wetland indicator status is facultative, um, and it's native from the Midwest to the East Coast. So it's just. I know Columbine is one of those things most people know. I don't think mm-hmm. I need to to over describe it, but it's just you know, it's not something that I see often in my area. Mm-hmm. So when you see it and you're like, Oh yeah, I forgot how incredible of a plant this is. Yeah. You know, it's 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 readily available in the in the landscape nursery trade. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not something you would have trouble finding. And there are different cultivars. I know Corbett I think is like a cream color. There's you can get different mm-hmm. colors, but uh, man, just like a really, really nice textured plant blooming that I don't always think about. And we grow it, you know. It, it It's just yeah. not one of those things I always think about. So it was just nice seeing it in nature naturally occurring and go, oh, yeah, I, I forgot about this. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's one I tend to overlook, and I didn't want to overlook it. So Yeah. No, it's a, it's a really awesome plant. It's just, it is a unique texture. Yeah. And it blooms earlier in the year, so that's. If you're looking for that, like we both said, that we don't have anything blooming in our gardens right now, that's something that would yeah. fill in that gap. A- exactly. Like it kind of reminds me of in the same vein of like bleeding heart, something mm-hmm. like that. So it's I, it was just really nice to see and, and just thought I'd give it a quick shout out. Yeah. What do you so, got? And uh, mine this week is uh, is common milkweed, which is Asclepius syriaca. And uh, again, I, I pick them at weird times, don't I? I p- <laughs> Things up when you wouldn't think I would be picking these things. No, but um, but that's good because a, everything has multiple seasons and reasons for for certain. And times. it's one I'm sure we've used as a as that's hot before, and we've talked I, about multiple times. I think I, you did it. Maybe I did it. I don't we think did we, it when okay. it was blooming. Okay, but it's obviously not blooming right now. It's uh, it's early in the the spring for okay. this plant yet. But now, just a little off topic, real mm-hmm. quick. One of the things I'm excited about in my garden is swamp milkweed this mm-hmm. year because. Last it's on to its third year, and last year each plant had two stalks, mm-hmm. and this year each plant has eight to ten stalks. Yeah, so it's coming up like, like it's going to be a force this year. Yeah, so I can't Someone wait. Someone else to- wrote something. I think it was on Instagram about made a comment about how their swamp milkweed had like two stalks last year, and then this year or I forget the yeah. timeline, but it turned into a beast. Yeah, and it's amazing. It's, it, it's <laughs> it really both, went from very pl- little to a lot. Both plants are going to be awesome, and it's kind of what I imagined mm-hmm. at that area. So this summer, I'm definitely going to be posting pictures because yep. there were things that just didn't even bloom last year, like uh, like Blazing Star mm-hmm. and Purple Comb Flower that that are that are beasts this yep. year too. So yep. I'm excited about that. 
So sorry um, about that. But anyway, going back to common milkweed is uh, each year for the last three years, I said this is going to be the year I eat common milkweed shoots, and uh, and then oh, I forget. We did talk about it last year because you missed it, and I forget. Yeah, I always yeah. forget, and I'm All like, right. oh crap, I missed my window. Well, I was out in the the field uh, last yeah last week, and I'm like, oh. I was I was turkey hunting. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get a turkey, but I found I stumbled across all this common milkweed where I'd never seen it before, which should have been my first sign. <laughs> I'm like, and, and looking back, I'm like, yeah, this probably wasn't common milkweed, but I found it there, and um, I picked a bunch. It was like perfect. It looked yeah. like asparagus coming on the ground. The leaves were just starting to open up, so I, I picked a whole bunch of it and uh, and brought it back to my house. And then uh, over the weekend, that was on a Friday. On over the weekend, I. Boiled some water, threw it in the water. You just blanch it for uh, like thirty seconds to a minute, just to kind of leach some of the the toxins out, I guess. And um, and then I, well, actually, before I did that, when I was reading the like directions on how to cook it, not on the box, yeah. it doesn't come in a box. I looked online at the forgechef dot com because he had a little write up on it, mm-hmm. and um, and then it said something. Oh yeah, this can often be confused with another plant, uh, and. There's a couple ways to tell it apart, but the biggest like way you can tell it apart is it's incredibly bitter. <laughs> so the other plant's incredibly bitter. The milkweed tastes pretty good. So I'm like, I'm just going to do one stalk because okay. I have a feeling this isn't common milkweed now. And it wouldn't kill me, but it's going to taste yeah. bad. So I did one stalk, boiled it. The one that looked the most like common milkweed, yeah. boiled it. And uh, no, it definitely was not common milkweed. It was, milkweed. Bitter. <laughs> it was super, super bitter. It was like, like I had to eat like... Uh, a couple, a couple like scoops out of. I like drank a ton of water, and then I ate like a couple scoops of like the pre-shredded cheese just to get the. I'm like, what can I get in my mouth fast enough to get this taste out? Because it was bad, and it was like one scoop wasn't enough. I need to go in for another, drink some more water. It was, it was terrible. Wow. But um, but so I took a couple of the snippets that Forger Chef had on okay. his website about Common awesome. Milkweed because that's where I got yeah. all that, and it was um. Basically, it was a various parts of the milk, common milkweed can be used, um, and were traditional foods for indigenous peoples. Uh, raw milkweed contains uh, cardiac glycosides, glycos- glycosides, and other compounds that need to be denatured, denatured by cooking. Um, one of the things a lot of people, I'm sure, when you're listening to this, think, "Oh, I just took all this milkweed away from monarchs," which I didn't because it was it was a different plant. Um, one of the things he actually writes in his article is saying that. Monarchs are eating the milkweed past the stage where it's edible for humans, and uh, and when you cut it like asparagus, it actually pushes new growth. Okay, so you're not necessarily taking it away from the monarchs. And then he said, just if there's only a few stems coming up there, don't take it. Like yeah. make sure there's like a big population. So if you're taking like ten or fifteen, like what you, the amount of asparagus you eat, um, you're not taking too much from the monarch so he said be conscientious of that and uh and all that kind of stuff so it's like you're sharing you're not just taking from monarchs there makes sense um and then this was the snippet that really stood out to me was the only look like you have to be aware of with common milkweed is dogbane which is uh you say apicinum i say uh, apicinum cannabinum cannabinum okay i've read it a ton of times i've never pronounced it before um at the stage when you'd harvest the shoots, dogbane and the in, to the inexperience can resemble milkweed shoots. The shoots below are a bit older than they would be. Oh, this is in a picture. Um, the delineator is the milkweed leaves are much more rounder at the tip, okay. where the dogbane will come to a point. Gotcha. So that, and that's where 
looking back, I'm like, I remember going through that spot and I'd see tons of dog mane. And I don't know why I thought it was, I think I wanted it to be common milkweed. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, this is common milkweed. <laughs> and when it's way too wet. It's like not a spot where common milkweed's going to grow. But that's, just, a, but that's a good learning lesson oh, yeah. now. I, I didn't mean, die. Now, you um, didn't die. You, you tasted dog bane. And which is, now you'll remember yeah. pointy tip or rounded tip. Yeah. Like when you see oh, it. Yeah. Like it's a good, you know, where you were saying like, why would you always want to be right? What do you, you don't learn anything. Yeah. You just learned. Mm-hmm. I, I won't forget that now. Yeah. The other thing I found right next to it, and this is, should have been another telltale sign that this was not common milkweed, was a bunch of sensitive fern. That was just some of it was up, but there was a lot of fiddleheads, and I was like, I know you can eat some fiddleheads, but I don't know exactly which ones. So I did a quick Google, and uh, you can't eat sensitive fern. That okay. one, will, that one will get you. But um, but like ostrich fern is one. Yeah. And so then I was went looking for ostrich fern and didn't find any. It was a fun day. <laughs> was, that sounds spent, like a fun like, day. I spent four hours walking around at, at like twi- or not twilight at uh, sunrise. I'll see a turkey shoot. Looking ended for all up kinds of stuff. Turned into a nature walk. Yeah. And didn't get sick. And then what I ended up doing, not to make this too long, is uh, I had all this boiling water that I was going to boil my uh, my my uh, milkweed in. So I ran outside and I grabbed some pokeweed leaves, okay. chopped them up, because that's something you actually have to boil for like 10, yeah. 15 minutes. That's or one that can longer. be poisonous if you don't, yeah, if you don't blanch it you enough, don't, right? Uh, cook it enough, it's poisonous. And um, and then I so I made the poke salad, and then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, then I ate that on a in a wrap yesterday instead of spinach. I put that in, and I'm not dead. How so, was it? It's surprisingly little flavor. Okay. Um, it had the texture of like cooked spinach. Okay. When it was when it was done, but more tender. Like it was yeah. a cooked baby spinach. It was really good. Like, but it, well, I shouldn't say it was really good. It didn't taste like much. Yeah. But it's not something. It's not like I'm be like I wouldn't eat this again. I want to go make more. But please it's, know your plants. Be careful yeah. for anyone listening. That's one. If you ate raw, yeah, don't you would yeah. you would have a, a major, and there's if you don't cook enough, you're going. One to One of the things I can't issues. stress enough is I don't eat any plants without researching them first. And I we talk about it all the time. You have literally a, a guidebook in your pocket almost at all times with your your cell phone, and uh, and don't just trust one source. Look it up like three four places. Make yeah. sure it's like because I know with the the pokeweed it'll some places will say oh just boil it for like five minutes other places are saying 30 minutes i think um what's it the the black forgers put something up about this yeah. too with with that as well saying like she settles on like 15 minutes i think yeah. i did mine for 10 i'm like okay. ah, i want to live on the edge <laughs> <laughs> but but um yeah it's like 30 minutes might be too much five minutes might be too little yeah. but so find a trusted or look at a couple different sources and find what the the consensus kind of says. When you're trying it, maybe trying in small amounts. Oh just yeah, that, you know the milkweed in yeah. the Forager Chef article. He says if you haven't done this before, only eat a little bit because you don't. Even though it's safe to eat, you might have like you're there might be enough buildup that you're just not tolerant to it I, right away. I, you know, for me, I'm fortunate. I, I'm fortunate or unfortunate that I have so many food allergies that I take everything really like small baby steps mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't know. It's funny because in the beginning of this podcast, we had our, remember our, uh, our plant madness bracket. Yes. A native plant madness. I just found and, that actually the other day. Yeah. And I'm supposed to cook you something, but we've been oh. waiting. 
to, to do that. I think you forgot. I've remembered. I forgot. And I'm I like, forgot. ooh, I could cook this for Fran, and I could cook this for Fran. And I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking about the dog bin. I'm like, man, I should cook this for Fran. <laughs> <laughs> no, but at the same time, yeah. you're allergic to so many things, I don't want to kill you. Yeah. Uh, like, there's times that I think people in the office would be very happy about <laughs> that. But no, I don't. I'm, I think I don't want they okay if I was just sick. Maybe. <laughs> They might feel Something a little guilty if you, I like, died. Lose your voice for a couple days. Uh, yeah, I think they would. I think everyone would find that amusing. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I had to cook for you at some point. But I like I'm very scared about not not giving you like well, a flag. I think uh, well, you did make prison hooch. I made that prison. Hooch. I, I still I, have a little bit. of that. I am looking forward to this year. I am going to do elderflower liqueur. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to get a, a good vodka, and I'm going to. Uh, get some flour, not mm-hmm. not overpicked, but I know there's some native ones here yep. around our pond, and I have one at my house now. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to definitely do that this mm-hmm. year. Yeah, and I'll share that with you. Yeah, I've been really diving in a little bit more, and um, and as I've dove dove in more, I found more researches for potential podcast guests to come and talk about this kind of stuff. So awesome. I just reached out to a couple people this morning. Awesome. So, awesome. All right, what do we got next? Uh, we we're going to go to this or that. So we do have a winner, as always, um, and the articles were uh, my article on California blue carbon uh, uh, regulations that were going to be put in place. Uh, Tom's was, can like a piecemeal approach to monarch uh, habitat work? And we have a winner, and the winner is... Tom is back on his winning streak with eight to three. Although there was some controversy, there is here. some controversy because someone said they tried to vote for me and the vote wouldn't register. And I, I didn't try to vote because I tried to vote and it wouldn't register my vote either. So I wonder why. And I'm wondering if I know sometimes you can set a time limit. time like I was time wondering. limits on how long the vote runs for, which I never do. And uh, I'm wondering if one of them was like automatically yeah. turned on. I'm going to take the loss because only one person said – Yeah, there was only one comment that I tried to vote and it didn't register because I think other people would have, yeah, would have yeah. said, hey, you know, I'm trying to vote mm-hmm. and I can't. Yep. But eight to three, I'm back on my losing streak. So you get to choose if you'd like to go first um, or last. I will let you go first. Mine is incredibly short, so I'll okay. let you go first. So I was actually pretty excited about my article because it's something that we've kind of – talked about and i think it's a unique approach in dealing with this and it's called native plant gardening for species conservation and it's it's more or less about changing the perception of how you garden kind of like benjamin vote talks mm-hmm. about in in his books um and this is by <laughs> if you could see the name you're probably uh Urs mosenfechtel and sebastian tilch in science daily i think it's a german piece if i remember correctly um, so it's not a very long article, so I'm just going to read it. And this is just kind of like a highlight of mm-hmm. of the main article. But despite global efforts to protect biodiversity, many plant species are still declining. In Germany, this includes 70% of all plant species with almost a third, which is 27.5%, threatened, and 76 species are already considered extinct. Much of this loss can be attributed to the decline in natural habitats in part due to increasing urbanization – of the total area of Germany, for example, is settlement area. However, it is precisely these settlement areas that hold enormous, albeit untapped, potential for nature conservation. 
After all, these areas include millions of private gardens, balconies, and green roofs, as well as parks and other public green spaces. Researchers from IDIV, the universities of Hall and uh, Leipzig, and other institutions propose using these potentially available areas for conservation gardening. This horticultural practice specifically encourages the planting of declining native species. Native plants are plants that occur naturally in their habitat where they have adapted to specific environments and have co-evolved with other species. Although critical to the functioning of our ecosystems, native plants are almost affected by decline and are in need of conservation. Gardeners have always played a role in distributing plant species, so why not help bring back the many native species that are disappearing, says lead author Josiane Cigar, researcher at IDIV and MLU. Public and private gardens and green spaces could play a central role in conserving plant uh, diversity, but this would require a major rethinking of the horticultural industry in order to do so. According to the researchers, the economy of conservation gardening as well as the ability to redesign the industry already exists. Horticulture is a commercially important sector in many countries. In Germany, for example, 8.7 billion euros were spent on plants in 2018 and the trend is rising. During the corona pandemic, per capita spending on plants increased by a record-breaking 9%. Furthermore, public awareness of the decline in biodiversity has risen sharply. Planting declining native species would also have clear advantages. Many of them are adapted to dry soils and would cope better with droughts uh, in the wake of climate change uh, than many of the species currently used in gardening. The authors posit that these factors could lead to increased demand for conservation gardening appropriate plants if they could be made widely available in garden centers. Uh, The researchers therefore propose that a key approach to promoting conservation gardening would create a stronger link between the mainstream horticultural industry and the domestic native seed market. Certified native seed production and marketing should be promoted through financial mechanisms and policy support, example, in the form of reduced VAT. Product labels in garden centers could help point out the benefits of conservation gardening and influence the demand curve. Appropriate criteria for awarding public contracts to horticultural companies could also help encourage the use of declining native plant species in public green spaces. Uh, Funding applied research to develop region-specific lists of declining plant species as well as planting concepts and seed mixtures for those species could foster a science-driven approach to gardening. In addition, key players such as botanical gardens, universities, nature conservation associations, neighborhood cooperatives, and public administrative bodies could spread essential knowledge about the cultivation and care of declining native plants. Conservation gardening would facilitate a targeted structural change in conventional gardening and horticulture. Large-scale implementation does not require extensive changes to the existing conservation architecture, says senior author Dr. Ingmar Stroud of IDIV and Leipzig University. In fact, it uses existing economically viable structures to encourage the use of declining species when planting green spaces. In an increasingly urban world, this could foster a tangible and inclusive form of nature conservation for citizens. So I think this is kind of something that we've been talking about, just that you need to rethink gardening mm-hmm. and why not incorporate these things? It, yeah. It's it's instead of thinking about what do I like or what is aesthetically pleasing to me you can incorporate these things that are better suited still be aesthetically pleasing still mm-hmm. form a function and increase biodiversity in the area bringing some of these things back so it's it, it really is like a throwback to appreciating what was here instead of incorporating all these other things from other places mm-hmm. and it's it seems so simple it it really does it's amazing that it's taking university research <laughs> to to bring this, and we talked about how most of the 
the land is private land, and mm. those are where we yeah. need to make a difference. And it seems like a very simple practice, and we're starting to see legislature with some towns saying X percentage has to be native plants. I really think that's the way to go. I know some people feel that's a violation of their freedoms, but we're we're talking percentages. We're not talking, mm-hmm. you know, all or nothing. So yeah, and a lot of it just comes down to to mindset and and tradition. And um, I'm I'm this is a weird parallel, but uh, one of the things that's always fascinated me is is like food history. And um, I'm going to make this short because this is, like I said, it's a weird <laughs> parallel. But like you think of of Ireland and like okay, we associate Irish people with potatoes. We associate Italians with like tomato sauce yeah. and and um, different cultures have like that that food. And well, potatoes and tomatoes were like American foods, so they weren't in Europe until after 1492. Yeah, so. You're thinking about like Italian history is going back thousands of years, yeah. um, or well, yeah, thousands of years to like Roman times and and like BC, and uh, but this was just such a tiny portion of their history revolved around this food, and it's kind of been like if you think of Italy, you think of tomatoes, yeah, or you think of <laughs> pasta, which I believe came from China. Yeah, you, oh yeah, you know, yeah, and it's uh, I'm trying to remember where I was going going with this. But it's like these traditions where we feel like they're so long, like they've been. This has been with something we've done forever. Um, and you look into gardening traditions; it's like it's even shorter than a lot of these. But uh, it's like okay, no, this is this is what we do. This is how we garden, and it's really just it's a new thing. Even yeah. agriculture as a whole is a fairly new practice when you consider the lifespan of not the lifespan the the how long um, humans have been on Earth. Yeah. Agriculture is, it's not like that thing where if you took like the sliver of your fingernail, it's like that's where like the yeah. human mankind has been in the history of the world. But you look at the history of mankind, agriculture has only been around for what, a thousand years? Yeah. And humans have been on earth for I think over 20,000 years. I mean, it might even be close to 40,000 years. But um, I forget the exact numbers. But it's like agriculture is a fairly new practice. So even that wasn't that long-standing so we're so tied in these traditions of regular gardening like i said it's weird parallel yeah so tied to these traditions of regular gardening when realistically how we garden today has only been how we garden for the last maybe 200 years yeah um completely if that that. for for most people it's way less for the aristocracy it's been two three hundred years yeah so we're changing these what we're so dead set in some of these these mindsets and this not to be like too uncouth, but there's this there's parallels with this in throughout all of, of culture yeah. right yeah. now yeah. with uh, yeah. with everything that's going on. So we're just so set in certain things, and then it's hard to change. It, but it, it's really been maybe your parents, your grandparents, right. maybe your grand yeah. great parents were doing it that way. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, and it seems so refrigeration is a, yeah. like how could we live without refrigerators? Well, they were doing it in some of our grandparents' lifetimes. Listen, I'm it's, I'm old enough that my parents remembered having ice delivered. Yeah, you you know yeah. for their their refrigerators. So yeah. it's it's not that long, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it seems so simple. Like, why yeah. wouldn't you yeah. do this? Like, why why is it an issue to do this? It shouldn't be an issue to do this. So it's 
It's just nice that they're, you know, like anything else, I think so much of what is said is considered speculation mm-hmm. until there's some kind of science to back it up. Yeah. At least, even if though we feel it's simple, now there's scientific proof. I mean, this was, <laughs> this, this is something that they can say, hey, these are the reasons why you should do this. This is what yeah. happens when you do it. It becomes real, I think, to some people at that point. Until mm-hmm. then, it's just talk. Yeah. So I'm I'm grateful for this for this article for that reason, mm-hmm. and I hope there's some traction from it. Yeah, it's, me too. I I think it doesn't always help that it's coming from outside the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, because it will get dismissed to some people that way. But mm-hmm. it's a start. Well, I don't think <laughs> some people dismiss it just because they don't like it nowadays. Well, so. yeah, that's true too. <laughs> that's true too. But um. So my article was, uh, like I said, it's it's really short. I included the entire thing here because um, right. it was so short, and I didn't know what I could skip through to to uh, make it a little bit shorter. But it was from uh, uh, sciences.ucf.edu, UCF standing for University of Central Florida. And um, the title was Controlled Arboretum Burns Lead to Discovery of New Grass Species. Okay. And uh, a new grass species was discovered in the UCF Arboretum thanks to regular controlled burns that mimic nature's wildfire season. Sparabolus, I don't know how to say this one, friend. Osceolensis. Uh, um, yeah, that makes sense. Osceolensis. Uh, that, um, yes. I, I so, agree. So Sparabolus osceolensis is a type of drop seed grass sensitive to fire-stimulated flowering, according to Florida ecologists Edwin Bridges and Steve Orzel who identified the blooming grass in 2018 on one of their UCF-prescribed uh, burn sites. The pair published their official findings earlier this year in the digital publication uh, Phytoneuron. It was former land manager of the UCS, UCF Arboretum, Ray Jarrett, who originally noticed the inconsistent grass flowering among other dropseed grass species. Program director Jennifer Elliott notes that the discovery of Sparabolus is owed to this moment. Uh, I remember Ray coming to the office and telling us he found something different, said Elliot. That's when Bridges and Orzel were contacted for identification, and we went. We were also excited about it. The two who, who uh, have been working together to find this specific type of sprabolus since 1999, when they first discovered it growing with other sprabolus species in, the ma- in a major wildfire in the Osceolan National Forest. We went into the field with the knowledge that the species could exist in this area, but it wasn't a guarantee, said Orzel. Grasses are inherently difficult for botanists to identify, especially because very few people study it in detail. There's a lot we don't know. Controlled burns are known as, or also known as prescribed burns, are controlled fires applied for the purpose of managing ecological areas, restoring prairies, and reducing wild forest fires. The UCF Arboretum is one of the only institutions in Florida that conducts, conducts these burns on campus, uh, both to reduce, reduce wildfire risk and to improve flowering and blooming of natural ground covers that drive much of the biodiversity in the species-rich ecosystems on campus. It's tedious work, and many institutions don't want to take the time, risk, or cost associated with conducting prescribed burns, said Bridges. UCF Arboretum took a chance when no one else would. Because of that, we're seeing a major payoff. Fire management encourages the growth of species like the Sparabolus that thrive in burn-mediated conditions. Both Orzel and Bridges noted that through fire management, it is hard to come by in Florida due to safety concerns and other associated risks. Uh, Thorough fire management. It's rare that uh, this species of grass, said Bridges, being keyed into what we're looking for, going the field support of the process, but it's still an unbelievable feeling to know that we found this grass uh, that has been hiding for us for all these years. And just think, if they hadn't done those prescribed burns, oh, they, they, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't have known. Um, and I think that's, I'll, I'll, being completely open and honest, I'm a fan of 
of, of like the habitat management I, idea. I am too. Um, and that some of these, well, some of the, the environments that we have today won't aren't possible without habitat management. Um, I look at the New Jersey pine barrens, especially after talking to Dr. Dwayne Estes, and knowing that is probably in spaces should be more like a, a savanna or a grassland, um, just from what he described. And that's not me going into the science. So it's what he described and then what I'm seeing. I'm like, man, this kind of sounds like the same environment, but it's mostly uh, a, a forest of, of pines. And not that that's a bad thing, but I think of what it could be and how yeah. much diversity could be there if it was managed through um, more intensive fire or some thinning uh, and I get because we're kidding ourselves if we didn't think that fires occurred. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fires yeah. occurred all the time um, through lightning strikes. Yeah. Through, there's all yeah. kinds of ways that, that fires occurred even before humans were on the landscape. Yeah. But then humans would do it as well. Yeah. Um, Native Americans would would create fires to uh, for well for a lot of the same reasons we would to yeah. prevent future fires. Like couldn't. Well, let's do this because it's going to happen eventually. So yeah. let's do it on our own schedule so we can make sure we're safe um, to keep areas uh, able to be hunted or farmed. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of reasons. and But we start to see some of these new species. You look at uh, Kyle Weibarger and some of his stories, and he's like, oh, yeah, when you introduce fire, when you when you mow, when you do some of the stuff, all of a sudden, not, not mow-mow, like regular mowing, but you mow once to get rid of some of those the shrubs yeah. and trees that are starting to compete. You see all kinds of really interesting stuff start to come up and your diversity can double at times. So uh no I'm I'm a fan of that and I know there's there's people who are proponents of not yeah. saying let nature manage itself. Yeah. But I think we're at a point now where we can't at, le- at least in New Jersey. My opinion is we can't do that. I think we're in a spot where nature Nature isn't going to manage itself in a way that's conducive for, for how humanity. for humanity and at the same time. You know, if we it's, just we all love old growth forests, but if you only had old growth forests, we'd only have a third of the biodiversity. Like it, it takes that succession that we've we've talked about on numerous occasions, and not saying that everything has to go through that, but some things benefit from that. That's mm-hmm. their ecosystem. That's the the habitat, yeah. and it's. Um, cause without that biodiversity, think of all the animals and insects you're mm. losing too, if you don't have it. So it's, yeah. I don't know. It's again, it's, I love seeing the research. I love seeing those great stories mm-hmm. to, to help understand why this is necessary and why we do yep. these things. Yeah. You know, I know it's hard. Not everyone wants to see it, but yeah. I, most ecologists get pretty excited about it. Oh yeah. And they didn't name it after themselves. That's wow! Nice I would have totally too. named I, it after I me. I wonder if the the Mr. Jarrett is feeling a little upset. <laughs> they didn't name it. They didn't name it after me. No, I'm just I'm just teasing. They named it after the locations, and and I definitely sympathize with them about identifying like grasses, sedges. They can be really, really tough. It, it's um, difficult. Like we we had a botanist here one time uh, for a project explaining the difference between some of the sedges, just as like a little length on the flower stalk. You know, and unless you're trained to do that and you look at it all the time, it's really hard to figure some of these things out. Yep. Like you can get close, but you doesn't mean you're always right. And that's but that's part of the learning process too. So two great articles, yep. I think. Um, I, man, I 
I hope they both get a lot of votes because these are both, both win. Yeah, I hope they both win. This is one I'm okay with a tie. You want to go back to the tie theory? I'm okay with it this week. So uh, make sure you go to the Facebook page. We'll have this posted. Uh, you get to choose because. And of course, the choice is yours. All right. So, you know, friend, I'm I'm just gonna I have a bone to pick with you real quick. Oh, all right. Go ahead. <laughs> this is all right. I wonder go if ahead. there's anyone I'll, else out there with me. Uh, with all right, let's hear it. <laughs> but one of my, you, we talk about pet peeves every once in a while. One yes. of my pet peeves is how you always throw it to that little sound bite, yeah. and it never lines up. It never does like with how Ever. with how language should be. No, <laughs> and you know like, what? <laughs> we got to figure out what's the right wording to throw into the. <laughs> there were a couple episodes where I just didn't do it, you know, and I'm like, I got to figure out the good lead in because my lead in, it's like you need to vote because, or you need to vote. Then of course the choice is here. I don't know. Yeah. I'll, I'll figure it out. I have. It's only been 107 <laughs> episodes now that we had. Actually, this is a pretty early segment. Oh yeah, yeah. This you know. is one. I think this is part of Probably the, at when least we started the buzzes, and then we said, "Hey, you know what? We were going to try and do this as a short to- short form podcast, but we can't. We're already at 45 we minutes. We're all <laughs> so, halfway through. <laughs> so we need to we need to come up." With a couple of like recurring segments, so it becomes another long form podcast, and that was a uh, one that I conveniently um, took inspiration from the Bent podcast because they did a similar yeah. Yeah. similar setup where they presented they had their fish news and we made it this or that plant news. Well, so. we're we're getting to the point where, and we've we've somewhat done it where we've we've created so many segments that we don't have them all every week it's mm-hmm. becoming like the price is right yeah like you don't know what games are going to play mm-hmm. so we just need a few more set yeah. the problem is we keep doing the same segments every week like i haven't complained yeah you in forever complained we haven't time. had a like a grow read a book there's only been a few well, we've added some we've yeah. had some more yeah and uh, so, we don't have a grow read a book this week either so. yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> i didn't finish my book but and we, we don't always have questions we have take it or leave it so we, yeah we we, we, these are the tune mainstays yeah that's hot um okay. And uh, this or that, this or that, and then a new a new mainstay is listener shoutouts. There you go. How is that for a segue? <laughs> listener, listener, shoutout, shoutout, shoutout. Shout All right, I'll I'll go first. I I have a really quick one. I I want to say thank you to Scott Cave for sending Tom and I a very nice email with a guest suggestion that we we haven't reached out to this guest yet. I don't want to say who it is, but we're we are going to reach out. The only reason we haven't reached out was for one – for the first time in our two-year history, we actually had two months worth of yeah. of episodes lined up in advance. So we're trying to work through that a little bit so we don't get too crazy. Uh, we're about halfway through that, so we're going to start reaching out in the next week or two to some new guests. But thank you. That was a wonderful suggestion, um, and I know you thought maybe it was kind of out of our range a little bit, but I think it ties in really well. Um, you know, We want mm-hmm. to talk to more people from other parts of the country. So it's more relevant. This is the one thing we learned really quickly. Like our main three states that listen to us are are New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York. But then, you know, we have a lot of listeners all over the country and in other countries. I just looked we're listened to in like 150 countries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some states we have really good followings, but they're a different ecosystem than what we have yeah. here. So it's yeah. We really need to do a better job of talking to people outside of this and area, and that's a great and suggestion. And part of that's because there's there's comparable things that are happening, even though yeah. people in, in the Southwest are going to have completely different ecosystems. 
than we have here. There's a lot of shared knowledge yeah. uh, or knowledge that we can share because the the management in some ways can be similar. Or the, I shouldn't say the management, but the the ideology behind the management can be very similar. Yeah. You may be doing different things, but the reasoning could be, in a lot of cases, would be the same. No, so. but like Joan Brandwine, who we had on from Minnesota, mm-hmm. like what she was talking about was applicable everywhere. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and which was very nice. Actually, that's shot up. That's our second most listened to episode. That, yeah. Soon to be number one. I never thought anyone would catch that number one episode, mm-hmm. but I think we're about a month away from her taking the lead. So that's that's great. Who do you have yeah. this week? And uh, speaking of Joan Brandwine's episode, episode 98, that was the first episode that our uh, our newest five-star review listened to, and that was Curtis Honeycutt. And uh, he started out with episode 98, which was Meet Native Plants in Small Places with Joan Brandwine. And uh, so that's a great place to get started if you're just getting into to growing native plants and you have a small yard. That's where you want to start. Yeah. Um, really likes the information we propose. His only uh, issue is some of the plants we talk about aren't native to his range, which is when we're talking to people, like Fran just said, all over the country, that's going to happen. And we're familiar with the plants that are around us. Yeah. Um, I need to explore more in other places of the country and get to know plants. And I think we've done that with our uh, a native plant every day with Tom and Fran. We started to do that, and that's helping yeah. us get a little more familiar with some yeah. of these other plants. Fran, um, maybe we should start a, a Patreon account where people can send, send us money to fly all over the country to, to go look at plants. Oh, man. It's like that the Patreon the research, plant yeah. research. Yeah. I and, think and there's the name other- of research. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there's probably other people who would be better at that than, than we are. No, but. no. Yeah, but the, the, half the charm of it is that we're not the best at it. So that's what's that's what's good. We can bring the layman's perspective, mm-hmm. the the every every person perspective. Right. I think that's good. So, but no, thank you again for the five star review. And if you leave a five star review, not just the the, the stars, but you got to write a little write up with yes. it. I'll give you a shout out right here in this very section. Awesome. So I ha- as I mentioned earlier, I have no complaints. Um, and we do have questions, you know, yeah. and we've taken a different approach recently. Typically, we would really listen to these questions and get really prepared, and we're we're trying to to handle them more. I like it's a say, live call-in show, yeah. But like not it's quite. a live. It's a, like not saying we're unprepared, but we don't like we we look when the messages come through. I get a text mm-hmm. also of what it says, so I just briefly glimpse it, so we kind of have an idea what it's going to be talked about. But at least you're, you know, you're getting real answers from us. Um, I kind of, I'm like the last couple questions we did that, and I kind of yeah. liked the responses, so it didn't seem like complete. Mm-hmm. We sounded prepared and like we knew what we were talking about, but it was a lot of preparation yeah. to get that. And I want to give good answers, and sometimes the best answer is I don't know. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So it's it's going to be an honest answer, but we we do have some questions. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. It's a simple question. Um, no, I didn't hear you. What was your question? All right, you ready for the first one? Tom? Let's go. All right. Hi, Tom and friends. This is Carolyn Klauba from New Jersey, and I have a question for you. I feel like I always have a million questions, but this one is about the Chelsea chops that Fran had talked about. I think it was last year about cutting plants back in May. Um, so that they bloom later or that they're more bushy rather than tall and leggy. And I wanted to know, um, are there any species that do really well with the Chelsea chop versus ones that don't? And do I have to cut all the stems back or just some of them? I really want to try it, but I'm afraid that I'm going to 
uh, not get any blooms. So I would love some more advice on how to do that. All right. Thanks so much. So I think that's a great question. And, and the answer to that one isn't an easy one because you, you almost have to know that plant really well before you dive in. So that's where Googling can really help mm-hmm. or, or asking someone, you know, if you're t- dealing with woodies, it's really a question of does it bloom on old wood or does it bloom on new wood? Because if it blooms on old wood, you really want to let it bloom before you cut it back or otherwise you are cutting off the blooms. If it blooms on new wood, then it's a little bit different scenario and when you cut it back. Um, herbaceous, I think it comes down to sometimes if it's something that gives multiple blooms, mm-hmm. a lot of the time uh, you can cut it back pretty hardly because it will shoot. Like I, I think a great one is cut leaf coneflower. Yeah. And that one, when it starts to come up, I let it get up a foot and I'll, I'll take shears and cut it halfway back. Like maybe mm-hmm. I'll let it come up two foot, take a foot off so it – stays more compact it will just bloom a little bit later and you could do that with other things some of the um uh which plant is it was it milkweed where you can cut it back and so you extend the blooms throughout the year so you cut half the crop back i'm I'm not sure with milkweed i do it with a lot of like my asters and goldenrods stuff that blooms in the fall i'll actually do it twice yeah um anything that blooms in like june july well i shouldn't say maybe not june uh, probably like late june july august i'll do it Actually, right now yeah. Memorial Day weekend is yeah. my time where I go out and and just as long, if I don't see flat like flower buds, I'll yeah. do it and uh, and like I won't do it all. I don't. You do could it, do half so you I, get bloom. Yeah, some bloom now. I, I definitely don't do it scientifically. I just kind of do it indiscriminately and say I'm going to cut this one. But like I'm, yeah. I'm actually just I googled it while we're while we're listening to that and. I would say one things I don't do it on are things that bloom pretty early, like pensamin's one. Like I wouldn't do it with iris, but uh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't do it with iris. Yeah. But pensamin, I'm actually seeing it's it, well, it's at least on this page that is about the Chelsea chop, and this is findgardening.com. So um, maybe you can do it with pensamin, but uh, but I think it's there's there's multiple ways to do it. I tend to just do the entire plant, and if I miss a couple stems, it's it's whatever. Um, I think you can go through and do half the stems yeah. and and kind of just pick out some. Like I wouldn't I, cut like half one side I, off. But I've done, heliop- I've done it with helium. I've done it with helium. I do it heliopsis, echinacea, monarda. A lot of times it's things yeah. that tend to get tall and yeah. leggy. Like eupatorium is a great yeah. one where you can cut it back and get a little more mm. bushy. Sometimes if it's getting leggy, again, right plant, right place. Yep. So maybe it doesn't have enough sun and it's mm. stretching and that's why. Um, so maybe it's just not the right plant for that place. But um, some plants just get tall and, and like to flop, and if you, you cut it halfway early on, you kind of stretch out. Or if you have a, a whole community of it, you can cut half of it back so that you're stretching the bloom mm-hmm. times out throughout the year for pollinators. But yeah. the woodies, you really have to know old wood, new wood. Um, some things like, – like we even said, even uh, – like when you're overwintering, like some things you need to let it go through the winter, which is preferable anyway yeah. because it dies back from old wood. So those are good things to know. But if it if it blooms on old wood, you really don't want to prune it till after it's done blooming. Um, otherwise, new wood it's a little bit different. You can you can shear it up a little bit, and you know you're gonna just change the bloom time. So I I hope that helps. It's it's not a clear cut answer, unfortunately. There's no magic answer that applies to all. You kind of have to really 
do your research per per each plant. Just get to know it a little bit or, or experiment a little bit. Or you can do what I do and just go for it. Cool. You could do that Trust too. Trust your gut. It's, <laughs> it's, no, yeah. It's a uh, Caroline. I would, de- I would definitely say experiment a little bit. If you, if you want to give it a shot and you don't want to go all in, I'd cut and say you have like five of, of a five Minarda in a certain place. Cut half of them. Well, I guess not the half, cut two or three. Well, here's here's the wonderful thing. You have such a resource with our, our Facebook group, which mm-hmm. I know you're a member of as well. And our listeners have been very good and members have been very good at sharing that information. So if you're not sure, throw it out on the Facebook group and say, hey, I have this plant and I'm thinking about cutting it back. Is this a candidate? Would this work? Is this not a good idea? And and you're going to have people that have had experience mm-hmm. doing it with yeah. that plant. Um, and I've, I've seen really great advice on that. So. I would I would do that as well. So it's all it's not always knowing the answer, but knowing where to get the answer. And I think that's half the battle, mm-hmm. more than half the yeah. battle. Oh yeah, you ready for the next one? Yeah, let's we have go. two this week. This one came in at the last minute. Hey guys, this is Adam Lewis, husband of the famous Alyssa Lewis, and I have a question. <laughs> we have been trying to get Pearly Everlasting insert botanical name here before you call as the perennial that it's touted to be, but. For us, it always grows like an annual. Uh, it sells seeds, but the parents just don't come back, and we've been trying to figure it out. Uh, a little bit about where it grows. It grows in a spot that has morning sun and afternoon shade. It's occasionally mulched, but sometimes we miss a year and we get a lot of weeds. Uh, other plants that grow in the same area are blue false indigo, cholestra alnifolia, button bush, pink coreopsis, hypericum prolificum. Uh, been trying to figure this out, and everybody everywhere says it's a perennial, but it just isn't for us. So any advice you can give would be would be awesome. Thanks, guys. Oh, and I'm calling from Central Connecticut. All right, thanks, guys. Before I say that I know nothing about that plant, which I'm, I guess I just said it. You know, one of the things I found interesting was when Adam described the area that is growing in and things growing. That was such a wide range. There were you know, button bush is an yeah. obligate. Uh, Clethral and the folia is a facultative. Uh, I'm trying to remember the first. Baptisia is an upland. You mm-hmm. know, so you, you're it's in an area that yeah. things are surviving that are anywhere from an upland to a yeah. to a wetland, which is an interesting area. Um, I don't have any experience with that plant. I've never encountered it. I've never worked at a place. I've never grown it or worked at a place that had grown it. Yeah, Tom and, and, I, and Tom reached have out, I. and I yeah, I reached out to. Our friend Dal Kabeski from Sunset Farmstead to see, hey, have, have you ever grown this? Maybe you can give us some advice. And he hadn't either. And he gave me a couple of other leads. But like Fran mentioned, this was a, a question that came, came in a little bit later. So I haven't had time to reach out to so, them yet. So this may be one that we're playing it now. And part of the reason why I like this was because we don't know the answer. And this gives us time to contemplate this. Maybe some of our listeners can share if they've had any experience with this plant. And how they've encountered it, you know, in in looking on the internet, we found information and like through research on how to how to germinate the seed, but not really how to keep this plant alive. Like, and and you know, what? I'm going to be honest some some native perennials act like annuals. You know, Rudbeckia herta is is a great one. Really, we call that a receding annual at this point. Not really a perennial. Lobelia can, yeah. You know, my lobelia. Last it one year and didn't come back. Mm-hmm. You know, um, some things do that sometimes when it's not in its ideal conditions, and that's what I'm kind of wondering is that maybe this isn't the best spot for it. Um, but we're gonna find that out. 
mm-hmm. we're going to find out together. And I, I kind of like that. I like that I don't know the answer on yeah. this one. So I don't know how you feel about it. Oh, I, yeah, I've yeah. never heard. Like, I had never heard of the plant until uh, until it got brought up. So. Yeah, so let's let's throw this out to our Facebook group. We're going to talk to some of our industry friends over the next two weeks till our next buzz and see if we can – this is part of our follow-up for the next buzz yeah. on what we're able to find out for this one. So great question. Thank you for asking. Just because we don't know the answer doesn't mean it's a bad question. We appreciate you asking us. This is how we all learn, and this is probably something that a lot of our listeners – want to know as well so we're gonna find out so all right what do we got next we got uh we no- don't have grow read book i'm about halfway through the and by book. the way that's adam's kids that that yes. do grow read yeah, book. yeah 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 uh i'm about halfway through the book outdoor kids in the inside world which i kind of teased on that last episode and then again on our instagram and um and really liking it so far awesome. uh, one one of the things early on in the book that it basically talks about is um is just asking yourself some questions about where you're like what your habitat that you live in is like how how many feet above sea level are you and yeah and uh like what are the plants that are around you what like what the what when you look out the window what direction are you facing just simple things like that are just quick really basic ways to start engaging with nature just orienting when yourself you, when yeah. you look when you're outside what birds do you hear like just that kind of stuff is a really yeah, like you said, friends, you're kind of orienting yourself to what's around you and s- starts to build an appreciation for the outdoors. Like I kind of feel like it's one of those things if someone were to blindfold you, put a bag over your head, drop you off in the middle of somewhere, how would you orient yourself? What mm-hmm. were, what are some of the things? Yeah, it's like, all right, where's where's the sun rising and setting? What what do I hear? What do I mm-hmm. see? You know, and take notice of that. And those are things we take for granted sometimes. You don't always yeah. – I, I, I don't even know from where I live if I can tell you – where the sun rises and sets. Really? Now I haven't been there quite a year, but okay. yeah, I've never really. Taken I feel like notice that's something that. you know on you learn on day one. Didn't take notice. Yeah. Huh. No, I could tell you my old house. Yeah, easily. You know, yeah. can't say that I know. I think I know. Yeah, but I don't want to say it and be that's, wrong. That's one thing I don't know. I've I've always thought I had a really good sense of, and I actually get like a little. I don't want to say not upset, but maybe flustered. When I don't know this, like what direction I'm facing at all times. Yeah. I like knowing what direction I'm facing at all times. And if I'm like facing east and facing or facing north. And uh, yeah, when I don't know, like if, if I'm, especially if I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm like, I don't know what like cardinal direction I'm going right now. I'm like, I have no clue. I love that that it's, shows up on my mirror. Yeah. I love knowing that. I do. I do like knowing that. Yeah. But I, uh, I, I can't tell you what. What direction my house is facing? Interesting. I and it's just I just I've been you know like what when you come, I knew you it with my your, old house one hundred percent driveway. I have no idea. I'm gonna guess just having been there once. I'm gonna guess that your driveway, like if you're looking down your driveway towards the street, you're facing to the what's uh to the east. I will let you know next buzz. Yeah. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure this is very interesting <laughs> to everyone else. But this, it's something hey, – maybe that's everyone's homework. Chime in on the vote and instead of saying, yeah. Yeah, saying yes or no, no or yes, I voted, say, say, what, direction say what direction your house, your house the front of your house faces. <laughs> so. I should know. Like my old house, I knew 100%. Every house I've lived in, I've known I don't know this one Yeah, because I haven't – I don't know why. I don't have an answer. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to say time. It's just the amount of time. Yeah. I don't know. So, but we're, we do have a, a topic today. And based this is actually going to be on this kind of, yeah. This is off, off and our last well, podcast. It's supposed to be about the book. It's more about yeah. the last podcast. Um, and it's actually, we're going to have a follow up to this topic too. Okay. Because on our Instagram, I asked for people to chime in and say, hey, I'm reading this book. What are ways that you get your kids interacted with nature? And we had a couple comments and, uh, and it's something I figured, why don't we put the call out to all of our listeners? Um, whether you want to call in, email in, go on the Facebook group, go on our Instagram and, and find that post and let us know how you have, like, have gotten kids to interact with nature, how you raise outdoor kids. Because I know there's, there's, oh, I know for a fact there's people out there who do a better job than, than either you or I do. Oh, so, without a doubt. Um, yeah. And it's, if we can kind of compile some of this knowledge and then share it amongst our, our group through the podcast that I think that would be awesome. Yeah. So, so we thought we would just name a few. I, I, if I could start, I mentioned on the last podcast with children and nature mm-hmm. that one of the things that I did with my kids that we still talk about, even as adults is letterboxing. And if, mm-hmm. if you're unfamiliar with letterboxing, it's, it's a form of geocaching kind of, but instead of, um, coordinates, you're given clues and mm-hmm. it's, it's more of a scavenger hunt. So people fought hide letterboxes, which include a notebook, uh, which is like a login mm-hmm. and a stamp and a stamp pad, and you make your own stamp like your tra- like yeah. our our kids. Uh, you know, no one really uses our real name. Like we called ourselves the Mud Monkeys, mm-hmm. and we had a stamp that was a significant. It looked like an uh, an ancient drawing, but it was my kids' initials. <laughs> it okay, was a yeah. D plus C, mm-hmm. and if you turned it sideways, it looked like a person. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. and um you you there's i know there's letterboxing.org there's yahoo groups for letterboxing and you download these clues and you go to nature or mm-hmm. parks you know it, it's sometimes it's in urban areas but they're all over the country they're right under your nose and you follow the clues and you try to find the boxes and when you find it you stamp their pad you use their stamp to stamp your uh mm-hmm. like guide yeah. that, that you're using yeah. um i would have my kids write about the day Mm-hmm. like some of the things they found fun or interesting so we could revisit it. Yeah. Um, they would collect – like I, we got notebooks that had blank covers so they could stamp the covers too. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had fun making the stamps and they looked forward to it. And you could do it anywhere. If on a trip, we'd find them near rest stops or yeah. things. So yeah. like you were incorporating them anywhere we went. It was mm-hmm. something that you could do. So yeah. any vacation we did them because you just had a small backpack with some things. Sometimes people would include travelers. So mm-hmm. it would be like a small little notepad and stamp that you would take okay, and put yeah. somewhere else. Like you would put it in another another box somewhere else. So you'd be excited if you found a traveler and you mm-hmm. figure out where to do it. But it got the kids excited to the point where they just knew good places to look and they would find letter boxes that like a big white oak at Smithville Park. It's yep. like that hole looks like that would be great, you know. And they found a geocache under a bridge. Mm-hmm. Like they just started. Like if I were hiding one, I'd hide it here. Yeah. And they started noticing the plants and why and things mm-hmm. like that. So that was one thing I did with my kids a lot that really – they love getting outside to yeah. do. Your friend, I'm, I'm going to feel really bad admitting this. Um, I just realized that I still have this in my truck. Uh, we found a, a rock in Lake Placid, New York mm-hmm. that had been painted. Okay. And then on the back I had taped to it and said like – like this, we want to see how far this rock goes and all this stuff. And, oh. um, and you still and, have it. <laughs> and it was like, you can keep it. It was basically said, you can keep it if you want, but ideally your 
dropping it off somewhere else to see how far away it traveled. Like you're logging in where right. this rock was. Yeah. Like you take a picture of it and put it on this this whatever Facebook group. And um, yeah, so we picked it up and said, oh, we're going to bring this back to New Jersey because it's been in New York. I looked it up. And okay. It's been in New York mostly. And um, and take it back to New Jersey and then drop it off somewhere there. Yeah. See, because that's getting a few hundred miles away. Yeah. And uh, it's in my glove box and I keep forgetting, <laughs> forgetting <laughs> it's there. And what you just said reminded me. So I'm going to have to go drop that off soon. But that's a, that's a park. that's a great way to get people involved. I oh, yeah. I love those type of things, yep. and that's a very natural way. Um, we should, you know, what we should come up with our own system, like where you're you're hiding, like geocache. They do charms sometimes, mm-hmm. but you hide the things in native plants, so you have to kind of know your plant ID. Yeah. So instead of clues, like. Like some of them are really fun, and and most of the time they're easy. But it would be fun to incorporate it with native plants mm-hmm. to make. Maybe we can do that, or some of our listeners can create. Don't, don't that. promise we're going to do it. No, okay, no. That's a. <laughs> can someone help us do this? <laughs> but like that would be fun for like to help kids with native plants, mm-hmm. in in doing it where you have to find this plant and then from there find the next plant and then it's found in a native plant. Retreat. That would yeah. be kind of cool. Yeah, no, it would be cool. So, a couple of the things that I just just thought of with this topic was one is just going for a walk yeah. and really just get kids and and people just interested in in what's going on around them. Like a slow walk where you're the objective isn't to walk; it's to pay attention to what's going on, and um, and you'll just start to notice so much, like how many birds there are. What kind of birds there are? If you if you know a little about birds, or one of the things I use a lot because I don't know really my birds as well is there's the Merlin Bird ID app, and you can like say you see a bird and it's sitting on a tree branch, and it's about the size of a robin, and it's brown and white. You can plug it in and it'll actually show you pictures of a bunch of birds that fit that description, and then you can select and and also how likely it is to be in your area, and um. And it'll tell you, like, it'll show you pictures. So then you can kind of somewhat identify what that bird is. Yeah. And I use that a lot for, for birds. But even, like, okay, you might see turkeys yeah. walking through the neighborhood. Or you might see some deer. Or you might see a, a, a possum. There's all sorts of things that are out there just right underneath your nose. But when you're when you're making that conscious, conscientious effort to observe, it can really start to engage you with how much else is going on along that, that sidewalk. Really interesting side note on birds. Two weeks ago, me and my youngest son were kayaking in Hamilton, mm-hmm. and there were birds that were skimming the water, getting insects off the water. And I was like, "Oh, check out these tree swallows! Yeah, like you don't see them too often. Look at them!" Do-. And he was like, "Wait a second, how you know plants? Why do you know yeah. birds?" And I'm like, "Aren't you interested?" Yeah, he goes, "Yeah, I I really want to know, but how do you know?" And I'm like, "Because I've seen them before. Like I I've heard the call, or I've seen them, and and mm-hmm. I you research. You're like, yeah. what is this? Like I've asked people." And I'm like, so if you know, I know you can ask me, or if you don't know, let's figure it out together. And we had this whole conversation, like fifteen mm-hmm. conver- fifteen minute con- conversation on just noticing what birds were around us because there were barn swallows yeah. and some other oh, yeah. things. And we're like, it's pretty cool, just mm-hmm. noticing. Like, there's all these things under your nose you're not even aware of, and now all of a sudden you're seeing it because we're just a little more connected. You're on the water, yeah. you're seeing it, you're interacting. Oh with yeah. It, so, but you might you might see a cool insect. You might see a cool mushroom growing out of a tree, and you say, "Hey, what's that mushroom?" And you can go in your iNaturalist app and Damn. identify the leaf, identify the mushroom, and find out what plant that mushroom is growing on. And 
there's uh, when you go out like with the there's two things you'll notice. You don't make it very far. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not that's like true. if you're trying to walk around the block, it's going to take you a long time. If especially if you have plants there, yeah. um, or even like what I'll do. Uh, I'll, I don't want to say a lot, but every once in a while, when we'll go on walks, there's a, a neighborhood across the street from our house that is not does not have like any natural vegetation. Yeah. There's one tree that's originally there, and um, I'll t- I'll use iNaturalist to identify all the stuff in people's yards to find out how many invasive plants there are. And I want to go over there and make a video and just say, yeah, this is okay. This is why there's Japanese barberry in the woods because there's Japanese barberry here. And yeah. the birds are eating the berries and going in there, but um. Besides the point, but you'll one you can say, hey, oh, just you go out in your yard. If say you haven't started planting a lot of native plants yet, or go you're over your your aunt's house and for a holiday, and go take pictures of all the stuff in her yard and say, <laughs> oh, this is invasive, that's invasive, non-native. Oh, here's native. Wow, yeah. they have a, a liatris. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't believe she has a native plant in her yard. If you're doing that, and now you're just around the house, and that'll take a long time too, and it's making it interactive and and educational and you're having fun identifying things um and just learning that way i'm sure it, it wouldn't work for everyone but that's something that i i really enjoy doing and yeah. then i think my kid's too young to kind of really get a lot out of it i think my son will enjoy doing too when he gets a little older yeah but those are so. those are great ideas i know you have down here camping and also hunting and fishing which mm-hmm. i think are great things like i I was a Boy Scout. My my kids were yep. Boy Scouts. My oldest is an Eagle Scout. My stepson is a Boy Scout. And those are things, you know, it, it's one thing to experience nature. It's also another thing to experience nature with a group of your peers and, and get to appreciate and enjoy it. So any of those campings, campings with your fa- camping with your family, yeah. just experiencing what it's like in the woods at night, you know, yeah. what kind of sounds you hear and what it means or what you see or, or just noticing tracks. Ooh, what, what made those footprints? What? Yeah. And a lot of it's just observing and interacting. It's like, I'm, I'm sure not everyone's going to like this, but flipping rocks can teach you a lot too. Yeah. Especially yeah. for a kid. Flipping oh, totally. rocks can go a long, long way and just seeing what's underneath. Rolling over a log and seeing, oh, there's all kinds of little pill bugs or, or salamanders, all this stuff. Playing in the stream. Oh man, I learned so much just playing in streams and just like finding yeah. crayfish and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And it's it's not for everybody, but exposure is the first step. I agree. So I agree. Um yeah, and then I had hunting and fishing again because like I said, I I went turkey hunting last Friday. I went up this morning. I I heard a couple birds gobble, which is awesome. It's just such a cool sound. But you also hear just the world wake up. You go from a period where it's relatively quiet. You'll hear some owls. You'll hear some some stuff. And then all of a sudden, you just hear some slight chirps. And it just gets louder and louder. Some geese start honking. The turkeys start to, to gobble and cluck. And then it's just like a, almost a deafening roar of just action going on. Yeah. Um, and then it starts to quiet down as the sun comes up. And you're just kind of sitting there. And, like, as you're sitting there, you become a part of nature. Um a observant part of nature where like deer won't know that you're there. Squirrels will be running like right over your feet. There's birds that'll land right on you. I've had hummingbirds literally not not this year, but the hummingbirds literally come up maybe a foot from my face, and just kind of hover right around me. That's awesome. Um, I've had hawks try and land like on <laughs> branches right next to me. I got pooped on by an owl once. Um, yeah, you just kind of like 
and then you find out, oh, that what owl did I just get pooped on? Oh, it was a great horned owl because I can hear the call yeah. and I can see it. it's about this size. And just by observing you, there's just that natural instinct to learn more. And there's a very similar with fishing because you're sitting there kind of in solitude and you start mm-hmm. seeing like movement in the water and yeah. what made that? What insect is doing this? What yeah. bird is doing that? Like, and you're 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 becoming more in tune with those surroundings because you're just sitting there being a part of it or standing yeah. there being a it's, part of it. It's not so much about the harvest. Yeah. Well, that and that can be a really fun part, and a, a, you can be really thankful for that part. But it's, I'm equally thankful, probably even more thankful, just for the experiences of being there and being a part of it. And I can't wait to share that with yeah. with my son. Like I yeah. said, exactly. So I think all great things. I'm just yeah. looking at time. So I'm thinking maybe we should move on to take it or leave yes, it. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, so, you know, I'm starting to – I was struggling coming up with one this, this week. And one thing that bothers me sometimes over the last couple of years is the concept of a zoo, mm-hmm. an animal zoo. And in your experience, like because we all look at zoos at one way yeah. as a kid and now as you're adult and you start becoming ecologically minded – Take, are you taking or leaving zoos? Per, personally, I so I saw this on the script and I yeah. thought about it. And first instinct, as I'm sure many people are like, "Oh, you got to leave it." Now, yeah. knowing what we know now, why would why how can zoos be a good thing? Like, especially when you're bringing animals from other continents mm-hmm. and you're caging them. I'm not saying yeah. that they're not being taken care of. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. Oh, yeah. I, I maybe in some private zoos, things like that. We've all seen. Tiger King. Yeah, I was going to say, you ha- and I think you have to kind of split it in. There's like Tiger split. King zoos, and, and then, then there's-, there's like the Philadelphia Zoo, yeah. the Cincinnati Zoo. There's there's yeah, different yeah. zoos, and I'm, you know, I know part of that is research, mm-hmm. and I understand that, but I can't see for the same reason I would never own a caged bird. I have trouble with zoos, and yeah. it's a good learning experience. If you've never had interaction with these animals, you get to see and interact with these animals. I can see the positives, but personally. The, the older I get and the more I know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm less and less in support of a zoo. So let me put it to you this way. So, well, I'll, I'll bring up the, the Cincinnati Zoo first because they do – I didn't know this until a couple of years ago. I met a person from the Cincinnati Zoo in an event, and they were saying how they have basically a good native plant arboretum there, okay. which I think is really cool. That's so I'll awesome. give them a big shout-out because they're incorporating native plants with the zoo. Yeah. Um, but, Fran, I want to phrase it to you this way. And obviously there's major differences here too, but what if you think of a zoo like a seed bank? Well, that's true, and I know there's good work being done to preserve animals Mm -hmm. in zoos to protect them because the environments aren't the same. But after years of protecting them, can you put them back out in the wild and have them – some of it's instinct and and genetically – encode it mm-hmm. but over time do you lose that oh I and it's think, yeah i think once you have an animal in captivity especially for a prolonged period yeah. of time it's not going back but i like i started well, to really think about it like i'm thinking and, about the zoo like I, i'm trying to remember which zoo it is that has a bunch of bald eagles but all those eagles are injured and can't survive mm-hmm. in the wild yeah so i i understand that like i get hey you're protecting this endangered species so that mm-hmm. these can survive without being picked off, but isn't isn't that part of what what the ecosystem does? Yeah. It gives and it takes. Like now, if it's injured, that's part of the food web for another yeah. thing. And yeah. that's that's where ethically it's hard to make that distinction. I have trouble now in going to look 
at an animal behind bars mm-hmm. and just say, okay, yeah. why? I start to think about it is, is it more beneficial to sacrifice? Uh, oh, I sacrifice, um, not the lives because they're not killing the animals, but by caging this animal to raise awareness about how important the population of these animals are. Yeah. Like, is it is it important to have tigers in a facility so that people can really see the tigers and feel like they're interacting with the tigers to say, hey, it's really important we preserve tiger habitat. And it's in a place you're never going to be able to go. But you need to care for these reasons. Is ha- is that more important? Is the It's the whole trolley switch debate. Is it? Yeah. Would you rather kill the one person that you really know with the train or pull the lever and kill 100 people you don't know? It's kind of that whole idea. But then I, what I really started to think about is in the United States, we had basically extirpated our entire bison herd. Yeah, yeah. And one of the main reasons we have bison in the United States today is because there was one in the Brooklyn Zoo. And that's why we have bison in the United States. We, were, we basically had killed just about all of them, and we had some there, and that's what we used to, to repopulate the country. You know, so without the- that, if we hadn't had that, had the – Brooklyn Zoo to have that bison, and that's the yeah. bu- buffalo that's on the the back yeah. of the, um, buffalo the nickel. nickel. Yeah. But, but not only did we destroy the bison, we destroyed their habitat, yeah. so they can never survive the way they did. Oh yeah, yeah. Before, it's, but if you took that money at the zoo and you created a wildlife preserve instead, and you got to see native animals in their native habitat where they're more protected and interacting mm-hmm. in a natural way, I would rather see that. Than animals that don't belong here yeah. behind bars. Now I know that's not as sexy, but if you want to see a lion, go somewhere where lions exist and go see mm-hmm. them in their their natural habitat. I I don't I don't know. It's the same way like you're, like, I, and I would argue that as soon as you start putting humans what? with man-made things, it's no longer a natural habitat. Uh, but if you're interacting with nature, like Yellowstone it, is, in my yeah. mind, is not. You have human dependent animals in not in yeah. not in everyone, but you have human dependent animals in those and areas. I've been now. to Yellowstone. And I love the Yellowstone. Yeah. It's one of my favorite places. And you have the freaking idiots who get out of the car, like next to bears and bison and elk and stuff. Well, and like, that's a whole different issue. And like, <laughs> what are you thinking? But <laughs> but bringing over an animal that doesn't belong here and put him yeah. behind a cage is no different than having. Bringing invasive plants over. Yeah. Well, I guess it is because the lions aren't getting out. Yeah, they're not getting out, and then all of a sudden they have a bunch of of lions everywhere. Although that would probably curb the deer population, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's true. But you think (laughs) of like, um, but it wasn't because of a zoo, like bringing starlings. There are like starlings, Mm -hmm. you know, were brought over. What was it? Someone wanted to bring over every animal from, was it Edgar Allan Poe or Charles Dickens Uh, or or Shakespeare? Maybe it was every animal that. That was part of a Shakespearean play mm-hmm. they wanted to bring over here in the Starlings. Yeah. I don't remember the specifics, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I know I'm probably taking it, the thought process to an extreme. Yeah. No, it's. But a, they're all thoughts that I have yeah. and just saying, I don't know what's right. I don't. I think I'm leafing it, even though yeah. there might be some benefits. The more and more I thought about it, I think I'm, I'm taking it. I think okay. the educational aspect of zoos and then the, the research and the. The, I know a lot of zoos are, some of the money they raise is going directly towards towards conservation effort. Yeah. So I think there's enough benefits there to outweigh the negatives yeah. uh, in modern day zoos. Yeah. But uh, 
Yeah, I, I think I know there's Zeus that are. Yeah, not, and I. So how much of it comes down to the people that are there and interacting? Yeah, is it? Are they getting what they need? What the intention of the zoo is out of it, or are they just there because they they wanted a day out of the house? And not that there's anything wrong with that either, but it's that kind of is, are the goals being met? And yeah. I don't know, but yeah, I, I I'd probably take Zeus. Were Were you just uh, uh, for those reasons? I think it's the the benefits outweigh the. Were negatives. you old enough to experience the? The drive-through safari at Six Flags Great uh, Adventure yes, before was, they, yeah. where the monkeys would jump on your car, yeah. like yeah, that's <laughs> that doesn't exist anymore. But that was more interactive. But people didn't know how to interact with them. Yep, too. Yep. So that was the other thing. Yeah, oh yeah, you'd always see there's stuff where giving oh, the animals monkeys things got out of the car. Get, they're giving yeah. the, the animals the things stuff, they shouldn't have yeah. given them. It was not good. All right, if you <laughs> if, if you want to have some fun, Google uh, Six Flags Great Adventure. Uh, drive-through safari that was always a high, <laughs> always a highlight yeah. so i think they made it actually like a safari ride like in the park you get in mm-hmm. a guided tour through the safari now to yeah. see these animals but yeah i've heard like they heat rocks to bring the lions out so you can see them mm-hmm. otherwise you're driving through and you're not seeing anything like yeah. they have like electric fence. I don't, I don't know yeah. i don't know how i feel about any of yeah I, I used to not care now i kind of care you know, and it's it oh yeah. Changes. Once you start thinking about it, it's like oh, uh, and it's I it's not. Uh, there's no no perfect answer. Yeah, there's there are trade with everything. There's trade offs, and it's are the are the good things better than the bad things, and yeah. is it a net positive or is it a net negative? I'm I'm sure there's yeah. there's somewhere or a listener that that is associated with the zoo that can sing their praises for all yeah. the great work that they do. And I'm not saying that they don't do great work. Just it's just personally how I feel about it. I'm not saying ban and boycott all zoos i'm not saying that just personally i don't know how i personally feel about it mm-hmm. so, so i guess we ended on that yeah talking about zoos and not not plans, <laughs> not plans. <laughs> but, all right well that's gonna wrap us up for today thank you for joining us we hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz thank you everyone for listening to native plants healthy planet presented by pylons nursery uh thank you rj comer for our buzz theme music i don't know what we would be without it make sure you stream or buy rj's music on itunes spotify or wherever you consume your music follow us on twitter at pineland nursery facebook at pinelands nursery nj instagram at pinelands nursery or native plants underscore healthy planet and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, keep that question and comment line busy for us. Call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. And ask a question, leave a comment. We'll play it on a future episode of The Buzz and try to answer it or not answer it to the best of our <laughs> of our ability. And uh, thank you to all the new members of Native Plant Healthy Planet Facebook group. We gave you a lot of homework this week with Pearly Everlasting and what was the other thing we – Oh, cutting back, like your experience mm-hmm. in cutting back uh, certain plants. So uh, make sure you join in. And if you have more garden pictures, make sure you join them. I promise I'll get a picture up there soon. Uh, so you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Um, you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcasts. Uh, you should be able to listen when you're there if it's at all possible. Leave a five-star review. If you do a little write-up, I'll give you a shout-out right here on the buzz. Um, you can also find our podcast merch on www.nativeplantshealthyplant.com. There's a banner right at the top. Take it to our Teespring store. We have some cool designs so you can show everyone proudly that you love to plant native plants or eat native plants or you're wild about native plants. 
Uh, we have a bunch of different designs up there, and the dollars that are raised through those T-shirt sales are going back to uh, Native we're, plant we're, conservation. We're close to another donation. We're right? really close. I, we probably probably surpassed that threshold. I just okay. haven't looked in the last uh, week or two. All right. So um, I think I'll check already, with that, and then we'll announce our— I think we already have an idea who we're donating to, right? We've I, discussed it, I, I think. I think we have, yeah. yeah. But I don't right. off the top of my head, I don't remember who we said. But, um, right. yeah, but the, the more dollars that are in there, know that— that T-shirt, in addition to looking very fashionable, and uh, like you're going to the Met Gala, you're also going to be able to uh, to know that some of that money is going to good cause. Awesome. So we we didn't prepare for a secret, but if you I have one, do you? I, I don't know if I told this on the podcast. I was going to say I have like a silly non-plant related one. If we didn't have one, I would throw uh, it out there. Well, I mine is non-plant related too. So why don't you right. go? Uh, I just thought it was funny. Yesterday we were playing. Uh, I, I'm kind of office DJ. And we use my Apple Music subscription, and it's something I never do, but we played the Fran Chismar station mm-hmm. yesterday to see what would pop up. And I'm like, what does it say about me that it's playing in sync? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's one of the art because it's not something I, I, I guess I listen to it enough that it comes up in my uh, – I, I would never say this is my jam or this or, is uh, – Or when you're out with your nose surgery, I don't know what, what the other – People in the office oh. used to play music, but that could have been why. That's true. I think well, that probably came on a little bit more when you were out. Yeah. You know, we tend to do a lot of early pop music sometimes just because everyone has fun with it and enjoys mm-hmm. it. And I have a feeling it popped up enough maybe. Yeah. I'm not saying I don't dislike NSYNC. I've been called out on that before. It's a guilty pleasure, I guess. So that and Harry Styles. Mm-hmm. Those are those are my little guilty pleasures. What's your, what's your secret? Oh, uh, mine was that. Did I, I might have told this on the last podcast, but I took a, a class trip to China when I was in college, and um, and they, I, there's I just it popped in my head the other day. There's a ton of people with pictures of me in China because I literally everywhere we went, since I'm six foot three, and most of them are not six foot three, they were just taking my picture because I was like the tallest <laughs> person they'd ever seen, and um, it was me and there was a, a blonde girl from Kansas State who was about five ten, yeah. and they would literally have us like stand next to each other and they'd take our pictures and there would be lines of people, wow. like they would literally line up so they could come and take their picture with us. And I'm, I'm like, where, where did all these pictures go? Can someone like, find one, please? Are there picture, like, pictures? Like how many of these pictures China? are me? In, like on did people put these on their wall? Because this is with like digital cameras, but not like this is 2011. All right, so we have to yeah. s- uncover at least one. Everyone, <laughs> that's your mission. Like I want to see them in the Facebook group. Pictures yeah. of Tom in China, just yeah. with random people. That yeah, are much was, much shorter than he just, is. <laughs> it just clicked in. Like, yeah, clicked in my head. I'm like, there's like a ton of random. It was literally probably hundreds of, pe- of pictures. <laughs> you should have charged for them. Well, I wasn't bit. thinking at the time, yeah. and I didn't speak enough Chinese to to tell them how much I wanted. <laughs> All right. That's my mission. That's what I'm doing as soon as we're done recording. Yeah. <laughs> All right. There you go. All right. So thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Uh, coming up next week, we have ooh, we have uh, one – our guest, we've, we've tried to do this a few times, and it's finally coming to fruition. Uh, we're going to have uh, – Rebecca McMacken from Brooklyn Bridge Park, and we're excited to have her on. So make sure you tune in next week for that, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Until then, keep it native.
Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.